welcome back to Millennial Ag, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us today, your co-hosts, Valine Likely and Catherine Lotspeech. Listeners, we are at episode 41. We're halfway through June, and man, has it been a year. I don't know whether to think that 2020 has flown by and you can <laughs> cram it all in a month, or it can be two or three years. I just, it depends on the day on how I'm feeling and everything we've gone through. Um, and it's it's been it's been a crazy year and there's been a ton of topics that um we have just been trying our best to keep covered for you guys and um today is no different we're really excited to um be joined today by emily smith who is a senior communications coordinator at protect the harvest hi we're so excited to have her here today to talk um there's been a few news things going around about project counter glow and the mapping system of all the CAFOs, confined animal feeding operations around the United States. And, and we feel like this is a hot topic in agriculture, but not many people are talking about it. Um, and we wanna make sure to kind of start, start the conversation and see what it's about. So before we dive too far into that, um, Emily, would you wanna give us a little bit about your background and describe what Protect the Harvest is for the listeners that may not be familiar with it? Sure, I'd love to. Thank you for having me also. Um, yeah, so I have been with Protect the Harvest for about three years. Um, I started out as their communications coordinator and am now their senior communications coordinator that um, still reports to our director of communications, Karen Gerpen. Um, so the organization is, uh, it, it was founded in 2011 and it was founded by Forrest Lucas, who is the CEO and owner of Lucas Oil Products. And it really started um, because he felt like um, there were threats to animal agriculture and animal ownership in general. And um, as a cattle rancher himself, it really hit close to home. And he felt like, okay, you know, I'm not seeing a lot um, protecting animal ag and, and really, you know, alerting the public to legislation that could um, hinder those businesses. And so he founded Protect the Harvest as a way to kind of bridge the gap. And so we are an educational uh, nonprofit organization that really just um, spends a lot of time breaking down and digesting legislative um, bills and um, content and kind of boiling it down to the consumer level so that everyone can understand the implications and really connect the dots um, between um, laws that are going into place that people haven't even heard of and yet they're passing and then they're affecting um, animal owners across the country. So I, um, a little bit about me, I went to Chico State, which is a part of the California State University system. Um, I got my bachelor's degree in animal science, and uh, which is under the ag umbrella there, and then minored in ag business. So I took a lot of production classes and um, interned at the organic dairy. Um, I was a member of their um, Stock Dog Association, which is one of two in the nation. 
um, where we all brought our herding breeds together. We had a flock of sheep that was housed at the university farm. We had a trainer and we would um, care for those sheep and work our dogs and, and learn the sport and the importance of stock dogs. And um, in, I eventually became the president of that group. And in that role, I really um, had a lot of opportunity to engage with the public and we had lots of schools come, FFA come, and we would do demonstrations for them and talk to them about stock dogs, ranching, you know, agriculture, animal husbandry. Um, and I feel like that was honestly my introduction to agricultural advocacy. And so when I graduated, I knew that I wanted to stay in that lane. And so I ended up getting a position with Protect the Harvest and the rest is history. Awesome. Thank you so much for that introduction. And, and we're yeah. delighted to have you here. Um, you. you know, boots on the ground, the organization that has, that has lit up what, what this issue is. Um, so give us the background on Project Counterglow. It's like Val said, it's, it's sort of like seeped into the news cycle, but we don't see much of ag talking about it. And that really concerns us. Yeah. So I will say that it's pretty new. So it was just published at the very end of May. Oh, okay. Um, so we're only about two and a half weeks of it being live. Um, however, you know, this is something that everyone should know about because um, like you said, it does um, share physical addresses and GPS coordinates of um, CAFOs across the country but it actually shares the addresses to animal enterprises across the board. Mm -hmm. So there are zoos on there, there are meat lockers, there are um, just regular farms. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, at any certain level of um, animals being owned by the property owner. Um, fur, facilities, research facilities. It's really, um, it really touches animal enterprise across the board. So it's not just farmers and ranchers who really should be concerned. It's animal owners in general. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it's truly dangerous because basically, although they aren't being very forthright with saying, you know, please go take action. Um, I think that they are very well aware of the fact that there are activists out there that will trespass and will take action. Mm -hmm. And we are now seeing almost 30,000 um, addresses and GPS coordinates public for anyone to take action against. Um, and so that's super, super concerning. So it wouldn't be hard for me to log on right now, plug in a feedlot because I feel like feedlots are something that I don't like today and drive by and see what could be going on on those operations and video. Can you upload videos, photos? Yeah, so they, um, there's a statement that comes up as soon as you open their map um, saying like, please contribute. <laughs> 
And so, um, you know, they're hoping that people will add addresses and photos of any um, facilities near them. And so really this, this map and this list of, of facilities is probably gonna grow um, over the next several months. And um, all of those people are potentially in danger of um, foul play, harm, um, yeah. at least trespassing, people taking video without consent, anything like that. Right. I want to come back to the safety threats and the, the violation of privacy and all that sort of stuff. But before we do, can you tell us who's behind this? I mean, my mind goes to the Humane Society of the United States, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, Direct Action Everywhere, you know, all those jerks. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they're really all intertwined. This one specifically um, was created and published by a woman named uh, Kesia Doolittle, and she has very close ties to direct action everywhere. So we have found that she's in a relationship with um, one of the spokesmen of direct action everywhere, and um, you know their motto is all about animal liberation, mm -hmm. complete animal liberation. Um, they have also been um, a part of a lot of farm raids. Um, stealing of animals. Um, they have had lawsuits put against them. They have had jail time because what they're doing is criminal and illegal. Um, and that doesn't seem to deter them. And so, you know, while DXC, Direct, Direct Action Everywhere, has not specifically claimed um, ownership for this, um, that's probably for liability reasons, uh, but we know that they're likely very closely involved, and if not, we're you know behind the scenes involved. For sure. So it's interesting that you say that, um, that they don't really care about the laws and and rules and things like that. Um, I was doing some research on this, and I came across the Animal Enterprise. Terrorism Act, um, which was signed into law in 2006, and there's a quote from an animal activist um, who, who spoke for the North American Animal Liberation Press Office, mm. said that the bill or these types of, of legislative activities would have little impact on the movement because underground activists don't really care about those laws. Right, right. So what yeah. do we do? I mean, we are law-abiding citizens, you know, we deal with all the regulations that we do in agriculture, we want to do everything right, and there's people out there who are willing to break the law and it doesn't really seem like the law goes very far to, to, you know, um, prosecute them for the wrongs that they've done. Right. You know, I think it's a really complex situation. Um, I was recently kind of brushing up on, um, kind of some tips, like what are farmers saying to one another? Um, what are think people saying about how to deal with, um, activists coming on your property. Um, and from what I could find, I, it seems like, you know, your best bet is to document it by filming or taking photos so that there's proof. Um, definitely calling law enforcement right away as soon as there's someone that seems, you know, shady on your property or that someone that should not be there at that time that you're not familiar with. Um, and 
filing a report so that there's, you know, a paper trail that, that follows that person or that there have been incidences on your property before so that hopefully in the future, you know, more can be done. Um, you know, I, I think that confrontation can be pretty tricky because we're dealing with people who feel like it's their life's mission to drag down industries, you know, not just one, but several huge industries that are very woven into our lives right now and are important industries. Um, and I believe that, you know, there might be um, some like lack of reality going on. <laughs> so I truly think that confrontation should be taken very um, conservatively because these you don't know if they have a weapon, you don't know if they're in their right mind. You don't know if they're agitated and, you know, feeling a lot of emotions at that time. They feel like, you know, they're in this big cause and, you know, maybe even feeling like they're at war. And so um, it's really important to be cautious um, when confronting activists, even though I can imagine it's really upsetting and probably really um, frustrating. But I think the best bet is to document it as much as possible and call your local law enforcement so that they can come out and deal with the, the perpetrator. So a lot of, um, I can relate to the, they could be packing, they could be wanting to fight because we, we see a lot of that, especially in rural America um, mm -hmm. and a lot of projects we work with too. Um, seeing neighbors just get so outraged in the common sense of, of just mm -hmm. communication is out the door. But it seems like a lot of um, the animal activists in the last few years have come out with the undercover videos. So they send somebody in the operation is working there and those video footage is taken undercover. So the operator mm -hmm. doesn't even know mm -hmm. that they're there. Um, how do you, how do you combat that, especially now that all this is out there that are like, oh, I'm going to go get a job with so-and-so down the street, and then I can get an in, especially if I'm a local. Right. You know, that's really tough. Um, I guess, you know, knowing that that is happening is really your best bet, just being hyper-vigilant, people coming with recommendations, people... Um, you know, it might just be a thing of the past of hiring someone you have you don't know or has no references because this is a very true and, and real threat that people are, um, you know, gaining employment at a facility with the intent to destroy it. Um, I, I also want to touch on the fact that um, a lot of animal rights groups may or may not be getting this footage, but when they have it, they're doctoring it. So say it again, say it again for our audience. <laughs> <laughs> they are doctoring this footage. They are, you know, you can go on and, and see their career section and they're looking for um, digital savvy people that have experience with video editing. And, um, and that's just, plain to see. We know that they, they can um, show images or video that um, 
is not giving giving a full context of of the situation. You know, one of the ones that I've seen really um, shown on, I think it was even a farmer that was showing, okay, look at this situation. So he had like walked towards um, all of his chickens and corralled them into a corner, then took an image and said, you know, here's all of these chickens so crowded. Mm -hmm. And then he stepped back, you know, 10 feet and it showed all of the space all around them. And it's as simple as that, right? So that image could be used to say, oh, you know, these chickens are, you know, receiving inhumane care, when really, it's not showing the full picture. And, um, and they're using that to their advantage. So while undercover videos are sometimes distressing to see, um, you know, maybe there's, you know, a bad egg, every once in a while. It's really important to know that just because it's on video does not mean it's real. We really appreciate that reminder. Um, and that can, that can go for all of life, not just, right. not just agriculture. But I'm so glad that you, you referred to this as a threat because as Val and I were talking about this, um, we're looking at it like this is a direct and unveiled threat against animal agriculture and, and it's freaking us out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, this is our livelihood. This Mm -hmm. is our our legacy and our family's livelihoods. Um, And we, I mean, we really, really want to get the word out and and let people know really what's going on. So um, can you tell us what the ag industry specifically is doing about this or have they done anything? Is anybody aware of it yet? You know, um, I saw an alert from Animal Ag Alliance just come through today. Um, we obviously are trying to spread the word. We have, um, shared on our social sites, um, we'll be doing an email blast and then we are actually taking the next step to, um, directly contact all of the, um, addresses on the list and reach out to them specifically to tell them, I don't know if you know this, but you're address and GPS coordinates are being publicly shared on a website that anyone can um, log in and and read. Um, It doesn't require a payment. It's free. People just sign in and they have all of these addresses and GPS coordinates. So we're really trying to do our best to not only um, notify the public and, and maybe people who aren't on this list, but also we feel like it's important for us to notify um, the people who are going to be directly impacted by this. What advice um, do you give those operators, especially the larger ones um, on the list, because they're probably going to be the first targets Mm -hmm. out of all this, but is it just be hyper aware? Is it put more security in place? Is it double and triple check your employment records kind of stuff like that? Or what are you, what are operations I would supposed say to do? all of the above. Um, you know, there's only so much that they can do, but at least knowing is, is the first step, right? So I think that it's important to talk about the fact that it, you know, we mention within our own team that, you know, the animal rights groups and activists and environmental extremist groups, um, really have had decades of a head start on us. Um, And that is 
it seems to boil down to denial, you know, and, and we on the part still, of agriculturists. Yeah, I think so. I think that there was a many, many years that um, they believed that this would never happen, that there was no way that there was going to be legislation to tax the wazoo out of meat, that there was going to be legislation that was going to limit how many animals they can own, limit, you know, every aspect of their business, you know, and then even beyond ag. So, you know, there are, there's legislation that's limiting animal breeding. There's legislation that's shutting down performance animals like rodeos and horse shows. I mean, horse people are thinking, no way, this is never going to happen. Spurs aren't going to be outlawed. You know, crops aren't going to be outlawed. And yet it is very real that, that these things can happen. And so I think that we are trying to play catch up and it's been really brutal because um, they have um, raised the money that, that allows them to have TV commercials and billboards and these huge initiatives and projects and, and we're stumbling to catch up. And um, I think that also it's, you know, one of the initiatives that we have in our organization is um, a We Must Stand United series. And that really is meant to remind all animal owners that, that we need to come together in the voting booths and in you know, reaching out to our representatives and learning about um, each other's sectors because um, you know, this animal rights movement is not to just simply and animal agriculture, they want to end animal ownership. And that touches almost all of us. Um, so I think that's really the bottom line. I think you hit on it. You hit the topic on the head when you said we're behind, we're behind and then we need to work together because agriculture, we started off our podcast talking about the civil wars within agriculture. And a lot of times you want to, in agriculture point fingers at somebody else for not doing it but i think we all need to take some ownership mm. over this situation get caught up whatever mm. that may look like which we can talk about in a second and then we've got to take that next step forward and start start coming together and start having these conversations before somebody's knocking at our door telling us we're shut down right yep exactly so let's let's go back to the safety threats and the violation of privacy that i mean that's that's what we see as this project um you know imposing upon upon animal owners animal um producers what 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 is protect the harvest stance on that is that is that an overreaction or do we need to be that concerned um i would say that that we agree um that this is extremely dangerous and um, we really need to hit the ground running, um, notifying everyone about this and making sure that um, there are, what's the word, um, practices in place that are going to benefit you in the long run in case of um, an attack on your facility, raid on your facility, people coming to protest, people coming to take film, um, 
and beyond. Um, I don't think that this should be taken lightly, and that is why we are trying to do our best to notify the people who are actually on this list um, because, you know, there, there's only so many times that we can be dismissive and Protect the Harvest was truly founded and has worked for the last several years to sound the alarm and um, really try to shake people into understanding, you know, the best way we can shake them into understanding that that these are real threats that could shape our next 50 years. And, um, and we know how important it will be with our growing population to feed um, America and beyond. Absolutely. And it's, it's really encouraging to hear Protect the Harvest taking those steps. I mean, you guys are going directly to producers or, or animal owners um, and saying, hey, you, you are on the hit list. Um, right. I, I really appreciate that approach. Um, what has, have any industry organizations um, reached out to you and said, hey, how can we protect our membership? Or are they, are they sort of behind the mark? No, um, that has not happened that I know of. Um, you know, we have lots of contacts with different uh, cattlemen's groups, beyond horse industry groups. Um, but I will say that um, we've had trouble getting the support that we envisioned and always hoped for. You know, we, I won't say a blanket statement that we, we don't get any support because that's not true. Um, but I will say there's definitely room for improvement. Um, and why do you, know, you think that is just, they don't see the need as urgent enough or it's easy. I think that there is a concern about, um, the, the political aspect. So, you know, we as a nonprofit can't be specifically political. Mm -hmm. However, there's legislation that is, um, you know, coming down the pike at, at any and all times. And, and sometimes it can be sensitive or, you know, there are implications beyond that. And I think that um, there's a mentality that, um, you know, if it's not our problem, then we're not going to touch it or, or this doesn't affect us. And so, we don't want our name attached to it too. I think a lot of times. Yeah, because some of these things can be really, you know, worded, you know, they, the animal rights groups have been really specific and I guess not the groups in general, but they've made alliances with a lot of politicians and there's politicians that, you know, even have very close ties with the Humane Society of the United States oh, yeah. and beyond. And so, um, you know, it, it can be difficult to get them to speak out against it because they have done a very good job of, of naming legislation to sound very um, good. I mean, to be blunt, it just sounds like, oh, of course, why wouldn't we want that? Or isn't that already a thing? And, um, and yet, if you read the text, and you can connect the dots, you realize, okay, this actually isn't a good thing. And this would have huge implications to the industry. Absolutely. So um, in our research about this, we saw that Australia has come across the same kind of a problem. Is it last mm -hmm. year? Um, yeah. Yeah. Last year. So 
a very similar project. Um, I believe they called it the Farm Transparency Act. Um, and they intended to share a very similar, you know, physical locations of farms and ranches in Australia. And the outcry and the um, danger that was inevitably, inevitably involved in it led to federal legislation being passed that criminalized um, trespassing on farms with the intent to harm. So, you know, we hopefully with this coming down and, and being published in the last few weeks, you know, it, it's, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that the same thing will, will stir up, you know, some kind of change in, in that. And if it's not already in place, you know, maybe revisiting it and updating it to drones or, you know, um, social media posting, you know, even if there's been legislation that was posted in the past, you know, 10, 15 years ago, um, I, I think that it, it would be important to to touch base on that and, and maybe revisit it to update it to what we're dealing with currently. You know, this, this has been an incredible conversation and we really appreciate you coming on um, on short notice and sure. being willing to talk about this. Um, you know, I think I, I want to leave our listeners with a sense of urgency that this is, this is happening and we can't just bury our heads in the sand about it. Um, yeah. what, what would you say? You know, um, I would just like to reiterate that, um, that we're all affected by legislation and, and projects and initiatives like this. Um, even if you're not in the ag sector, um, we are all touched by um, being a consumer. And, um, you know, it really is our duty to um, do what we can to protect animal agriculture and agriculture in general. And then beyond that, a lot of us are, are animal owners. You know, we have pets, we've got working animals that are on our property. We've got horses that we ride or, or drive. Um, you know, maybe we enjoy going to the circus. Um, we, you know, we all have these great, you know, memories of going to zoos and aquariums. All of those things are touched by animal rights legislation. And so I really hope that, you know, these, this specifically, the Project Counterglow comes as a wake-up call that um, these groups are working hard every day to make a difference. And so we need to work just as hard, if not harder, every day to protect it. And, um, and I, I hope that we can all come together to do so. Well, thanks for those words of encouragement and some motivation to get moving. This affects everybody. It affects not only producers um, and packers and people in this day-to-day, -day, but yeah, pet owners and consumers and people that value production animal agriculture on every level. And I think this is a great start to the conversation and there's so much to be to continue to unpack and get people excited and moving forward because there there's a lot of issues in agriculture but i think this is this is one where if we're not ahead of the game 
we can never catch up and we could be looking at shutting businesses down. Um, and that's what scares me more than anything is I want to keep production animal agriculture going for generations to come because I've been blessed to be a part of it um, and blessed to bring people that aren't a, weren't born into it into our industry because I think it's a great industry to be a part of. Absolutely. I agree. None better. <laughs> One last thing. Where can we find Protect the Harvest and what can we do to help support Protect the Harvest? Oh, well, thank you for asking. Um, <laughs> so we are online at protecttheharvest.com. We are also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube. Um, <laughs> you can search us and, and find us on all of those platforms. Um, you know, to support, you can sign up to receive our newsletter. You can sign up to be a social media volunteer, which is, um, we've kind of created a guidebook for people to share and engage on our platforms, share our content and engage on our platforms, um, and kind of be backup to us when we're engaging with people that, you know, either totally agree with us or not at all. Um, and so you can do that. And then, you know, we are a nonprofit organization that relies on the donations of the public to do what we do. Um, we have not been immune to the effects of the coronavirus, and we um, could really use financial support at this time um, to continue to um, produce the content that we do and engage in the initiatives that we do. So um, if you can um, donate, that would be very greatly appreciated. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Emily, for coming on. And we can't wait to continue this conversation and stay connected with you. And listeners, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Millennial Ag Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or you can email us at katherine at millennialag.com. Mm-hmm.